center, and I was like, I think I'm in the wrong place. And so uh, at least I hoped I was. I thought I might need to be setting up chairs. I didn't know. So uh, that was good. But it's great to be here with you. Misael uh, got called away, so he's not here. I am not Misael Gonzalez, if you didn't know. Just letting you know. I know we look alike. We're kind of like twins, but no, not me. So, uh, uh, But it's a privilege and honor to be with you today. Um, are you guys getting to continue to read through the Bible? Or are you still getting to enjoy that? And I hope it's a privilege and just a, a great blessing for you to get to do that. Um, that's a blessing for us, I know. For and, and as we do that, even on our Sunday mornings, we're, a lot of times we're covering a passage that we've read that week. This week happens to be a little different because <laughs> you're going to read this passage this next week. Um, I talked to Chris Wall briefly, and he said, I don't know what I was thinking and why we're going to do Ezekiel 33 today, which you'll read next week in your daily reading. And then we're also going to be in Revelation 20, which you'll read next week. But um, you know what? I think it's God's plan as we look at this. This was a very difficult passage. And for me, it's been a lot of soul searching on my own part. And so I want to encourage you as we do that, we'll jump into that part of it. So um, let me pray for us. And we're just going to jump right into Ezekiel 33. So, Father, we come before you again, and we thank you, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to gather together. I thank you for a place like this where we can meet. I thank you for each of these here. I pray your blessings over them. And, Lord, I pray even now you continue to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your word and that the truth of your word is what would fall on fertile ground in our hearts. Pray that you would lead and guide us. Um, Just uh, correct us. Show us where we need to make adjustment. Um, strengthen us, encourage us, prepare us as we go out to be your hands and feet to represent you in our communities, in our workplaces, our families, wherever you lead us, just use us in that way. I pray you would be glorified and honored through the reading of your word, and we lift it to you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, hey, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 33. I'm going to get to that here in just a minute, and when we do, I'll ask you to stand if you can. Um, And we'll uh, read through the first nine verses together. But also we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper here in a little bit. So um, we'll do that toward the end of the service. Let me read this passage to you. And then, um, so if you would stand with me as we, and really to honor the reading of God's word. Um, I know we have a practice that at the end of it we say this is the word of the Lord. And if you want to say praise be to God, that would be great because it's to his glory and honor anyway. So I'm going to read this passage. Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet, and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning... The sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, Blood, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that, per that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, please be seated, and we'll just jump right in here. So, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is uh, considered one of the major prophets. What's, what's the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is not the message that they're sharing with us. It's really the size of the book. I know that sounds kind of um, lame, but um, when you get a couple of these guys together, you think about Jeremiah or Isaiah. Isaiah's a big book here, right? Okay, anybody here want to take on the challenge of memorizing Isaiah? 66 chapters. Uh, I'll... I'll cheer you on, okay, so that would be amazing. Um, Jeremiah, Lamentations, um, you, uh, we saw here, we're seeing Ezekiel, and you'll also see Daniel. Those are all considered major prophets. All the rest of them are considered minor prophets, not because of their message, but because of how short the book is, that's why. So, so there's nothing to diminish them, that's just really how it falls in our Bible, so... We see that. Ezekiel is around the time when Jerusalem is being carried off into captivity. There are three times that Jerusalem gets carried off into captivity. Uh, the first one happens, I'll just get my dates here, around uh, 605 B.C. And that's when Daniel gets carried off into captivity. There's another time they come back, around 597 B.C. And that's when Ezekiel gets carried off. He's probably about 25 years of age. It tells us that he's a priest. So what does that tell us? That he's from the line of Levi, because all the priests come through the line of Levi, and he's also from the line of Aaron. He's not the high priest, so he didn't fall in the, the uh, first son category across there, but he is a priest, and so he's from the line of Aaron. The last time is around 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and he totally destroys Jerusalem, burns it down, tears the temple down, carries off the people in captivity. It says each time they left the poorest of the people in the land um, just to really take care of it, to shepherd it. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a moment. The purpose of the book is to proclaim, proclaim God's prophecies to the exiles in Babylon. Babylon's about 600 miles east, east northeast of Jerusalem, which is fine, but you have to cross a desert to get to it. So the way they would have to go is they would follow a river up to the north and the east, and then they would follow that river down the Euphrates, and from that um, would be probably about 900 miles. And it's not something they're driving. You know, we were in Israel this year, and it was really interesting to me. It's just fascinating when, you, when it says they're in Caesarea Philippi and they went to Jerusalem. Okay, that's one verse. That's like 120 miles. <laughs> I'm like, okay, they didn't just drive. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. So... Um, they didn't, uh, they didn't drive that. They walked it. You're looking at something that may have taken a week for them to walk. So that's interesting. You think about what happens over that couple of months it took for them to get to Babylon. So that's the fascinating part. As we get into this part, we're seeing here, and you, you can read it earlier also in Ezekiel 3, that God has called Ezekiel to be a watchman. We're going to talk about what that means here in a minute. But are there other watchmen in the area? We talked about... Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah is a watchman for God, but he's in Jerusalem. He gets left behind. That's also why we get the book of Lamentations, is because he's writing about the destruction of Jerusalem. That just breaks his heart as he sees that. But he stays in the area. Ezekiel is carried to Babylon, and he's writing from Babylon. So um, uh, Daniel, we see Daniel is also at the same time. They're probably, they might have known each other. Daniel is in Babylon as well. But um, Daniel is, is not considered a watchman. We see a man in Daniel who is a prophet who is faithful to God. Okay, And he's, a lot of his prophecies have to do with end of time things, which is really fascinating. Where what we're dealing with here is really things where um, Ezekiel is proclaiming, this is what you've done, this is why this judgment's come on you, and this is what you need to do to, to get it addressed, right? And so he, you see that point of it, this is where we are today. Okay, so what is a watchman? In the Old Testament, a watchman was someone who would sit on top of the wall and they would be diligently looking for any danger that was approaching. And that was their job. They see something, some danger, they had to be vigilant in what they did, they would blow a trumpet and it would sound an alarm to everybody in the city, hey, there's, a, there's danger coming, get ready. Doesn't mean you're going to survive it, it just means get ready, be, be on your best defense, be whatever it is, be ready for the danger that is coming. We see um, in, in this passage we just read, verses 4 and 5 and verse 9, what happens when the watchman gives a warning and it's ignored. That they're going to die in their sin, it says. Now, this is talking about physical death, okay, at this point. Most of the time when you're looking at salvation in the Old Testament, it's talking about physical salvations. um, But it has a parallel with spiritual death as well. Spiritual salvation. So we see that here. And that's going to be part of our application today. As a result of not heeding the warning, the residents will die. But it says if the watchman was good at, if he made the call, he blew the trumpet, he would not be held accountable for their death. Their blood is not on his hands. But you also see in verses 6 and 8, another event. When a bad watchman does not sound a warning or danger, the result is the residents will die and the watchman is held accountable for their death. They didn't do their job. And so... um, We see the difference here between a good watchman and a bad watchman. So how does that apply to us today? I mean, as Christians, are are you a watchman? Yes, you are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let me answer the question for you. So yes, and this is something I've struggled with is the yes, you are. So what does that mean to us? So as a watchman, what am I supposed to do is I'm supposed to be proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around me. I need to be living it out. i got to be setting that example, but also got to proclaim the truth of who he is, that Jesus died on a cross, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and because he has conquered sin and death, I can trust in him, and by believing in him, I have eternal life in Jesus Christ my Lord. So that is... A simple part of the gospel, right? So just believe in, have faith in, trust in Christ. You know, it's been evident to me. I'm kind of thinking about this. I've heard this before. Some people will go up and, and they share the gospel and say, what do you got to lose? You know, trust in Christ and you join part of the club. Okay, that, that's my new definition of easy believism. And what it means is somebody's 
false, there's a false salvation in that. You, you know, we have to first recognize our need for a Savior. Do you know that you're a sinner without hope? And if you, don't, if you didn't get to that point, then why do you need a Savior? And the world's the same way. They're like, why do I need a Savior? I'm fine. I got money in my bank account. I'm successful at work, whatever it is. You know, you could go through a list of things. But the fact is, we're all sinners, and we need a Savior. Do you recognize that? And they have to recognize that first. Also, we have a calling on us. As Christians, we've got two things. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it tells us this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This one kind of raises the bar for us a little bit because it doesn't just say share the gospel. It says make disciples. Now, as believers, when we're making disciples, when we're working with each other, working in our faith, growing our faith together, it can get messy. And you might say, I don't know if I want to jump in on that. But that's what we're called to, is to walk it together. Acts 1.8 is our passage that we use for our missions. And it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We say, we say it at our church like this, that we are his witnesses here, there, and everywhere. So wherever you are, it's in your family. Is it in your community, in your workplace, or wherever you go, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. You carry with you and the reflection of Christ. Are you reflecting Christ to those around you? If you are, then I, I think you're being effective to be a watchman. Okay, you're starting there. But you also have to proclaim that. You know, um, um, this week our business, the company I work for, um, they're, going, they're actually manning a hole up in Bartlesville at a golf course for uh, United Way. United Way does a lot of good things. They do things that I may not necessarily agree with, but they also do a lot of good things too. But it's a humanitarian effort. You know, as believers, if we're out there doing good things, that's great. But if we don't proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is, when, especially when they ask. I'm a part of disaster relief, and that is huge for us. If someone says, why would you come? And cut trees on my property. Why would you bring me a hot meal? Why would you come and clean mud out of my house? That is a slow pitch, okay, is what we would say. <laughs> across home plate. And you need to knock it out of the park. It needs to be because of what Jesus did for me. And we got to do that. Have I failed at doing that before? I told you this has been a tough passage. And there's times when I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, just glad to be here. I'm the United Way. I became a humanitarian effort. And God did not receive the glory for that. we got to be faithful to represent Him well. You are His witnesses either by speaking up and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ or by remaining silent. How are you representing Jesus Christ to those around you? So if you warn Jesus or you warn those people around you about the coming wrath, what is that wrath? John 3 tells us, that if you believe on Jesus Christ, then you, uh, his wrath is removed from you. But if you have not believed, his wrath remains on you. What's that mean is that you're, you're destined for eternity 
in hell. I know we don't talk about this a lot. We talk a lot about grace and love, which is true. But the fact is that God also is just. And we have to keep in mind, if you have not trusted in his son, um, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, then you have not, um, you're not saved. And I want to encourage you, have you done that? Have you done it in the right order? You know, there's people inside our church. Billy Graham would say, and I, I had a hard time believing this. I think the way he put it was, based on his um, crusades that he went to, that he believed around 20 to 50% of the people going to the church at the time were truly saved. Now, you think about that. If you're sitting on a row of 10, that means eight to five of you on that row, on that row who think they're saved aren't. Did they really trust in Christ? I want to encourage you. Search your own heart. You know that. You can see the fruit of the Spirit working in you. You can feel the Spirit tugging you. You can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on you. If you feel those things, that's part of it. It's understanding that His discipline's on you. Yeah, that's, that's another sign. Yes, uh, then you're saved. If, if you're off in the weeds doing a lot of things you shouldn't be doing, and you don't feel the wrath of God, His discipline on you, then you might need to do some soul searching. Okay, so I want to encourage you in that way. Pay attention. Sorry, it's kind of a tough passage, but we're, we're going to work through that. It tells us that if we do not warn them of God's wrath, then their blood is on our hands. God will hold us accountable. Now, does that mean you're going to lose your salvation? Answer is no. That's good. It's no, you're not going to lose your salvation. Because why? You, you actually are not the one holding on to your salvation. It says Jesus is holding on to you, and you're in the palm of his hand. Nothing can take you out of the palm of his hand. The Father holds the Son in the palm of his hand. Nothing can take him out of the palm of the Father's hand. So you are secure in God. Okay, You have eternal life. You can be secure in that. But what's that mean to us? If we're not faithful, then we could get to heaven, and we may say, uh, we may not have crowns. Or we may have fewer crowns. We may lose rewards because we weren't obedient. And I know that's not why we do it. Um, I, I had this vision, I, I just thinking, I guess, really. I don't know. It might have been a burrito. I don't know which one it was. But um, I thought about this, that, man, when I get to heaven, isn't it going to be sweet to see Jesus face to face? I cannot... That song, I can only imagine, is that is so true to me. I can only imagine. I can read all the Bible has to say about it, but I can only imagine what that's like. Even as you read what John wrote about Revelation, think about him writing a finite vocabulary about an infinite God. He, he's probably just going, man, this is really weak Cliff Notes version of what I just saw or something. But, but just think about what that's like. But I think about when I first see Jesus, I'm going to want to take any crowns that he's given me and, and put them at his feet. I wonder if I'll be like, I wish I had more. You know, the Bible does tell us that we can be ashamed at his coming. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.15, if, anyone if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. 1 John 2.28 says, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So I want you to keep in mind that 
we need to, he's encouraging us, and from this we ought to take from it, is let's live for Christ. Let's live up to the calling he's placed on us. Ephesians 4.1, this is Paul talking, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So we, we need to be obedient to the great commission found in Matthew 28, 18 and 20, and to Acts 1, 8 as he's called us. You know what? There's no exceptions as believers. We're all called to that. Now, some people are a lot more evangelistic. I'm looking at my brother Dale over here, and this guy, I don't think he has a lost fence post on his property. I think he's saved them. He won them all to Christ. So, sorry, just making fun of you for a second, Dale. <laughs> but uh, I, that guy witnesses to everybody, right? Maybe you're not as comfortable doing that. But you know, there are people that watch you every day. Are you representing Christ? People come and ask you, are you sharing Christ with them when they ask you? I bet you could ask Dale. I bet he'd give us the testimony. Every time he shares the gospel, he's probably got butterflies. He's a little nervous. That's just because that's his flesh who doesn't like it necessarily. But his spirit inside of him is just welling up, coming out of him. Isn't that a blessing? The world doesn't want to hear it. But it is the good news. Has God prompted you to share the good news with someone specific? Has, it, has God laid anybody's name on your heart? If he hasn't, I'd ask you, you know, just pray. Lord, is there someone I need to have a divine appointment with today? Maybe. I, I think that's a prayer he'll answer pretty quick. You might want to be serious when you pray it. Because <laughs> I think it'll happen. Are you, gonna, are you prepared to share the gospel? You know what? A lot of people will say, I can't share the gospel because I don't know the Bible well enough. Well, um, I would say... First off, your enemy, Satan, knows the Bible really, really well. I don't think you can know it as well as he does. But you can hide his word in your heart, and it will come up out of you. I would encourage you to tell your story. The gospel is a real simple deal, and just share that part of it, right? Tell your story. Okay. Um, as we get into some other things, um, maybe God has even prompted you to go help someone, that next-door neighbor. Or whatever it is, whatever God has called you to do, be obedient to Him. Just do it. And then be faithful when they ask the question. In disaster relief, that's a big one for us. We don't, uh, we don't require people to listen to us when we're out uh, serving. We don't require, um, hey, listen, if you'll listen to my story first, then we'll come and clean your house up. That's not what we do. Um, we go do the work. We call it being the hands and feet of Jesus. And then from there, if they ask, we want to share the gospel. Now, we try to prepare, and the way we prepare is we have a guy with us that his single focus is looking for those opportunities. Um, we, have, uh, we have Bibles on our trailers that we drive around with because you're going to come across people in Tulsa, Oklahoma that don't have a Bible in their, in their house. And, uh, man, if you can hand them a Bible, that's great. And get them connected, all sorts of things we can do there. Okay, let me continue on here. In verse 10, it tells us, now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, you have said this, our transgressions and our sins are heavy upon us, and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we survive? Tell them, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent for your evil ways. Why will you die 
house of Israel. When you see this first statement, it says here, Now as for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, you have said, Our transgressions and our sins are heavy on us, and we are wasting away because of them. Um, the ESV puts it this way. They said, um, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Verse 10 is not a picture of repentance. Does that make sense to you? It's not a picture of repentance. Let me talk to you about three words. Three words that I want you to think about the definitions of. Sometimes you might put them together, but I want to, I want to try to clarify some things with them. The first word is regret. The second word is remorse. And the third word would be repentance. Regret, remorse, and repentance. What's the difference in those? This is part of the study that really got to me too. And I'll talk to you about that here in a moment. But you think about this. Regret. What is regret? It's an activity of the mind. Whenever we remember what we have done, we ask ourselves, why did I do that? Um, that was that was stupid or something. Okay, I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, I'm kind of a guy that learns from the School of Hard Knocks. There's a lot of activities. When I was growing up at, at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning in the summer, Mom was like, get out of the house, don't show up till dinner time. And we would, I, I grew up in Bartlesville, okay. Had the 20-inch bicycle with the banana seats and the high handlebar and the orange flag that flew around in the air. And, and uh, I remember one day we went from Nowata County to Osage County, drove our 20-inch bicycle, oh, little bicycles uh, back and forth there. Um, got that done in a day. I thought that was really cool. Um, and I, I wasn't sore that day, but I was also a lot younger. But the fact is that um, we would go out and do things like that. I grew up doing things that a lot of times I would be in the midst of it. You know, when, um, and I would go, this isn't going to turn out well, right? Uh, normally it was after it was too late, past the point of no return. I, I, I had a a goal when I was younger, a lot of my friends were getting mini bikes, little three and a half horsepower motorcycle, has no transmission to it, it's just one speed, hit the gas, it goes, no shock absorbers, and uh, I wanted a mini bike, $198, I had a paper route, I thought I'm going to save up my money, I'm going to buy, buy a mini bike. Um, I ended up not buying a mini bike, I ended up buying a 90cc Yamaha that had shock absorbers, gears, and went a whole lot faster than my friends could go on their mini bikes, which was really cool. And at the end of our street, two blocks down, there's this jump there, a dirt pile, and they would hit it with their mini bikes, and it was kind of like, what? <laughs> and it was kind of a big deal. So, I, Well, I don't know if you remember Evil Knievel, but I thought, yeah, I can do this. And I started on my street, and I hit that dirt mound at 45 miles per hour. Now, I, I went, now, I am not, I know some of you guys know Rob Lewis. Rob Lewis would have survived this just fine. <laughs> But um, I did everything Rob Lewis ever did. I just never got back on the bike while, while I was in the air, okay? So he's that extreme jumper, not me. I'm in the air, and, and I'm guessing I'm about 20 feet off the ground by this time. I have a fear of heights, so um, it, the air was getting thinner where I was. <laughs> but I figured out why they didn't hit that jump real fast, and that's because there's a tree right there. And they have a thing uh, in motorcycles, they call it cross-ups, where you're in the air and you, you kind of throw your forks back and forth, turn the wheel back, it's called a cross-up. Well, I didn't mean to do cross-ups, I'm just in the air trying to avoid the tree, and it doesn't help. So I hit the tree, eight foot off the ground, hangs the motorcycle up in the tree, the knobby tire spinning, I, I land flat, straddling the tree on the ground, bark flying in my face, 
But I remember thinking after I hit that jump, this is not going to end well. <laughs> Don't we think about that? Those things happen to us. But that's a regret right there. I probably shouldn't have done that. Damaged my fairly new motorcycle. I had to fix it. And, uh, but that was a regret. What is remorse? So remember, regret is just an activity of the mind. Probably shouldn't have done that. Remorse includes both the heart and the mind, and we feel disgust and pain, but we do not change our ways. Man, a lot of us get into remorse. Man, I wish I hadn't done that. Dang, that just makes me sick that I did that. Have you ever been at a point where somebody's pushing your buttons and you hear your parents come out of your mouth? Have you ever had that happen to you? You're like, there's something my dad would say, and I was like, I'm never going to say that. And somebody pushed my buttons a certain way, and it squirts out, and I'm like, holy smokes. Like, what is that coffee mug you have that says your mom, something about your mom? Yeah. Mom comes out of my mouth. And sometimes it's things that we don't want to hear, right? But uh, we're like, I didn't mean to say that. But that happens with our buttons getting pushed, and we might have remorse, but do we really make a change to never do that again? Repentance now includes the mind, heart, and will. We change our minds about our sin and agree with God um, what he has to say about it. We abhor ourselves because of what we have done, and we deliberately turn from our sin and turn to the Lord for his mercy. Sometimes I think, I wonder if we, sometimes if we repent or we're just remorseful for sin. Man, I hate that I did that. It just hurts my heart. Well, are we going to change our ways? Are we going to turn away from it? You know, um, uh, there's lots of different things that we can get into. That, you know, one of them's tough to me. I don't know how it happens. I haven't figured this one out. There's a lot of things in our life, especially addictions, that you can put boundaries around you to help you protect, protect you from getting into those. And if you'll honor the boundaries, it'll help you. And that could be different for all of us. But what about Pride. Pride's one of those things that comes up. I mean, I could start great with my quiet time in the morning, my prayer time. I get to work. I'm doing great. And in an hour, I am neck deep in pride, and I'm like, how did I get here? It just sneaks up on me. I haven't figured out how to get boundaries around me on that. But to get away from it as soon as possible, that's important. Do you regret your sin? Do you have remorse for your sin? Or are you truly repentant? Verse uh, 12 and 13 tells us, And you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice... None of his righteous deeds shall be remembered, but in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. What this is telling us, real simple part here, is that your righteousness is not something you can produce. Your good works amount to nothing. And you can actually go to every other religion in the world, and they're all going to say, if you do this many good things, then you're going to get, not every other religion, not all religions believe that there is an afterlife, but... But if you said, those that believe in an afterlife, if I do enough good things, I'm going to be there. How do you know when you've done enough good things? The Bible says we can't. 
We can't do enough good things. I have a friend that works for American Airlines, and he was sharing the gospel with a Jewish guy. And the Jewish guy said, you know, I would love to trust in Christ because then I only have to keep ten commandments. But as a Jewish person, I have to keep 613. And my friend was really, God just spoke through him, and he said, I can't even keep one of them. The fact is that God, Jesus is who's in me. That's, it's because of him that I'm declared righteous by the Father. That happens the moment you trusted in Christ. You are declared righteous by the Father, not by your own works. Doesn't mean we shouldn't live that way. We ought to live according to how God has called us to live. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet, this is verse 14, yet if he turns from his own sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what has been taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right, he shall, live, shall surely live. Verses 14 through 16 gives us a picture of true repentance. He saw what was right to do, he went to do it, and he made restitution. You know, we have a great example of that in the Gospels through um, Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? The wee little man, he climbs up in the sycamore tree, all those things. We were, when we were in um, Israel, we went by Jericho, and they said, there's the sycamore tree. Well, I'm pretty sure it's not the sycamore tree. Um, they showed us some olive trees they said were 2,000 years old. They, have you ever seen a really old red bud? I mean, they look kind of gnarly as they get older. Yeah, these olive trees look really gnarly, not real pretty, but, but um, they get like that. But remember, what did Zacchaeus do? Jesus said, come down, I'm going to go eat dinner with you today. And he trusted in Christ right there. We get that picture, and he says, you know what, today I'm going to restore back four times what I've stolen. I'm gonna, and he, you see a true sign of repentance in his life. We see that part of it. It's a great one there for us. So true repentance, heed or pay attention to the warning Turn from sins, seek restitution. Um, as we look at the rest of this, I'm going to just kind of skip over 17 through 20. It talks about fairness. The Israelites are saying, God's not fair. But the fact is that their version of fairness and God's version of fairness are two different standards. You know, our version of fairness today is relative to whatever we're in at the time. I remember September 11th of 2001 when the towers came down. I remember hearing on the news Hey, we think that's a terrorist uh, group that may be over in Afghanistan. And I remember thinking, someday I'm going to talk to my kids and say, yeah, that big glass spot over there, that used to be Afghanistan, you know, because we nuked them after they dropped the towers. At the time, that, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I was like, that seems like a good thing to do. Was it the good thing to do? It's relative. There's a lot of good people in Afghanistan, <laughs> okay? So you're talking about only a small group. It would have been a terrible thing for us to do that. Because it wouldn't have been the appropriate response. Um, so we see here fairness. God's fairness is absolute. And he's the one that defines it. We don't get a dog in the hunt. We don't get a vote. We line up with his fairness, right? So we have to understand that part of it. He's, you're going to see in 21 and 22 the fall of Jerusalem, which puts this around 586, 585 B.C., you're going to see the people left in Israel in verses 23 through 29. These are the poor people. And they started to say among themselves, Hey, what if uh, um, Israel, I mean, everybody else is gone. God gave this land to Abraham, and he was just one guy. There's a whole bunch of us. 
this land's all our land now. We'll take possession of it. But what did, what did God say? Here's, the te- here's what I want you to tell them. For those who are in the city, you're going to die by the sword. For those who are out in the country, you're going to die by wild animals. For those who hide in caves and strongholds, you're going to die by plague and famine. You know, I, I used to think for a long time the poor people that was left in Jerusalem, those who were, they were as far from God as anybody else. And you think about, I thought, there might be the remnant. You know who the remnant is? And we see it later in the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's actually those that got carried to Babylon. Who's the ones that come back and rebuild the walls? Who's the one that reestablishes the temple and, and starts worship again? It's those who were carried off to captivity. God protected a group of them and said, that's the remnant that's coming back. Remnant to come back to the land. The last part of it, it says here in verses 30 and 33 is that as for you, son of man, your people who talk to get, I'm sorry, as for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the wall and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Does this passage express repentance? It doesn't. It's it's an action. Maybe you could think back even uh, some of you who might have been active in church before COVID. Remember when COVID hit and we kind of had to do that distancing thing? Maybe we didn't meet in person for a little bit. Are there people that you're used to seeing here that maybe aren't here today? It's like they just got out of the habit of coming. They're not coming anymore. Doesn't mean they're not saved. I'm not saying that. Um, But isn't that a sad deal? Because we're actually encouraged to be together. To encourage one another. What you're seeing here is they're just hearing things to tickle their ears. They're hearing things just to, for the fun of hearing them, but it's not causing change in their life. You know, when we hear the Word of God, it should move us to change. For you, specifically, many people may not listen to your warning of God's wrath on their sin, and they may not listen to the gospel as you present it. Does that mean you give up on them? had a really interesting discussion with a, I had a struggle with this discussion actually, because there's a guy I was talking to and he said, if they don't, if they reject the gospel, walk away. Well, the Bible does say, shake your dust off, go to the next one. I just have a hard time walking away. You know why I have a hard time walking away? is because Jesus didn't walk away from me. You talk about patience and long suffering. I got an example of that just in my own life. He has been patient and long suffering with me. To, deal, to put up with me for this long. Thank you, Lord, for your patience and long-suffering. I want to encourage us. Let's, uh, let's reach out to those around us. Let's represent Christ well. Let's live for Him. Knowing that this is not our home. We're going to our home, right? We're part of that. So we're going to have a moment of invitation. And we're soon going to partake of the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come on up. And Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come on up.
and uh, we're going to just kind of work through this for just a moment. But um, I want to encourage you, as you hear God's word, is God saying anything to you? It may be something totally different from what we talked about. I pray the Holy Spirit is nudging you some way, has something in mind for you. And I want to encourage you just right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and think about, Lord, is there something you have for me in this message that you want me to go with? So think about that. While you're doing that, let me ask you this. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your sins. Maybe you're here, you're just going through the motions. We're all guilty of that at times too. Do you know that even today, where you're sitting right now, you can place your trust in Christ? Do you recognize the fact that you're a sinner who needs a Savior? Do you see that Jesus is the one who died on a cross, was buried, rose again on the third day, and is, is currently seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father? Over 150 times in the New Testament it says, Believe in, have faith in, trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Have you done that? If you haven't and you do recognize your need for a Savior, you can do that right now where you sit. Just by saying, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I have no other hope. I lay my sin before you. I confess that to you. And I put my, my trust in you for salvation. I would encourage you if you've done that or if you have questions, reach out to those around you. I'll be up front as well. There'll be others around who can help you with that. If you have questions, what does that mean? So as we're, we're going to start into the Lord's Supper, and I'll, I'll just ask everybody to look up for a moment. We're going to read a couple of verses. And I want to thank the deacons for being here. And, and also, hey, Suze, thanks for leading us so well. You did such a beautiful job today. So, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, as we do this, I'm going to read through a few verses, but um, we're going to open it up to where you'll be able to come up front to get your, your own um, elements. But if you're not able to do that, you'd like them brought to you, just raise your hand, and one of our deacons will bring it back to you. So we'd um, be glad to do that. Let me do this with you. I'm going to ask you another question. In 1 Corinthians 11, let me get over to 1 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. So, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way um, before he eats the bread and drinks from the cup. So I ask you just to bow your head, close your eyes, and now think about, Lord, what are you talking to me about? Is there any place in my life where our fellowship isn't really lined up? Have I allowed compromise in my life? Have I allowed sin to unconfessed sin to stay in my life? Am I harboring that? Maybe maybe you've wronged somebody and you feel you just need to go ask for forgiveness. Just reflect on that part. What is God saying to you right now? Because we want to make sure we're in a worthy place. We have considered our hearts before we take the Lord's Supper.
One other thing I want you to think about. Actually, there's three of them right here together. First off is the past. The moment in your past when Jesus saved you. Reflect on that. Reflect on the present. How the Holy Spirit is moving you, convicting you, guiding you, strengthening you, helping you at this moment even. And remember the future. Christ promised he is coming again. We are to never forget this. Jesus Christ himself promised he would return. He is faithful and true. Now, if if you've not trusted in Christ, we're just going to ask you to allow the elements to pass by because the Lord's Supper is for those, for Christians. And I want to encourage us to do that. So if you would, come on forward when you're ready. Um, uh, Get the elements and then go back and sit at your seat and we'll take those together here in a moment.